One of the things we don't talk a lot about in the Christian circles is the judgment of God. And yet the Bible is filled with the judgment and wrath of the Lord. I mean, ask yourself, when was the last time you heard someone talk about the judgment of God at your church? Well, that's exactly what we're going to be talking about today's podcast. So turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and let's get into it. Hey there, my friends, Jason Min is with you as always blessed to be with you guys as we continue our study here in second Thessalonians chapter one And the theme for this chapter is standing strong in your faith. And I pray that you're doing exactly that. And one way you could be doing that is listening to this podcast as we study God's word, stand strong in the word to have a strong faith. You have to have not just a strong knowledge and appreciation of God's word, but you have to love it. You have to treasure it with all of your heart. You know, as I always tell you guys on this podcast and to my family and those people I'm privileged to travel and to teach uh, the word of God to, there's one thing in this world that will never lie to you, and that's the word of God. And so we need to hide it in our heart that we don't sin against the Lord. And so I pray that as you and I continue this study, that we will stand strong in our faith as we grow in our grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So last time we talked about a resilient faith. And we looked at that in verses three and four, and that's what Paul was praying for them. And that's a powerful reminder for us that when we are praying for ourselves, that we use the pattern of scripture to help us do exactly that. But also as we pray for those around uh, us, our, our loved ones, for sure, like Paul did here, he gave thanks to God and he called them brothers. And it shows you the, the, the rapport, the relationship that he had with these men and women, they were family to him. And he says that your faith is growing abundantly. And we, we looked at that word last time. And that word is a beautiful word because it talks about growing exceedingly like a plant. And so we know that when you have a baby plant and you, and you give it all of the necessary elements that it needs and all the nutrients and the sun, the photosynthesis, everything, good soil, it's going to grow. And if it's, if it's a, a plant that produces a certain type of fruit or a bushel, uh, we see that fruit in, in the longevity of that. And that's the Christian faith. And, and he uses the word increasing. And that's so profound, my friends, because if, if you and I look at our lives, how are we increasing in our faith? And that's a verb, a Greek verb that is, that Paul uses throughout his letter to the Thessalonians. If you go back to 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 12, he says, and may the Lord make you increase and abound. In what? In love. So I pray that as we now transition into this portion of scripture, talking about being steadfast in your faith. Why? Because they're faced with persecutions. But now what Paul does here is he's going to talk about the righteous judgment of God in verses five through 10. And that's where we pick things up the righteous judgment of God. And notice here in verse five, let me just read through these verses and then we'll look at them verse by verse. He says here, this is evidence of the righteous judgment of God. What is evidence? Well, let's go back. He says, therefore, verse four, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfast and faith and all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. So, There's persecutions 
and there's affliction. They're being steadfast, they're enduring, and they are increasing. They are growing, right, in their love and their faith. So that's why Paul says here, this is evidence of the righteous judgment of God. So what Paul is telling them, just like he told the Philippians, we'll, we'll touch on that epistle later on this podcast in our chronological teaching. When they were faced with persecution, he says, you are not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. So here... My friends, it's not just a connecting point, but again, who is the true hero? Who is the true savior? Who is the originator? Who's the creator? Who's the one that's worthy of all of our praise? God. So even though they're increasing and even though Paul is proud of them, it's the righteous judgment of God. It's who God is. And that's our source, right? So this is evidence, meaning your steadfastness, your endurance is because of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. So God gives you the strength and the reason you're suffering is because of Christ, because your relationship with Christ, not because of anything in yourself. And we'll touch on that in a minute, but I want to dive into verses six and following. He says, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction, those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on the day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. Wow. Okay. So <laughs> we just, I mean, when I'm just rereading this passage again, even though this portion I had spent, I think a good two weeks uh, studying over and praying over and just rereading this again, again, this is why when I was saying in the opening, when was the last time you, you somebody gave a sermon or a, a series or even just this passage alone and talked about the vengeance of God, talked about the, the righteous judgment of God? Now, remember, this is in context of the church and also future events. This is a second letter tied to the first letter. So this is important because the first letter, 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 the first letter was answering the questions and one of the profound and common and reoccurring question that the Thessalonians had was about the end times was about those whom they had lost, who put their faith and trust in Jesus. What's, what's their state? When are we going to see them? Will we see them? What's the whole thing like? Remember, this is foreign to them. This was new territory, even if for Paul to write about. So the second one now is building from the first. Okay. So we got to keep that in context. And I, you know, talked about in the first letter. So if you've missed that or you've forgotten that, you can go check out the previous podcast about the day of the Lord. Matter of fact, certain titles in our study in First Thessalonians highlight the day of the Lord, okay? So keep that in connection to what we're talking about here. So as Paul was talking about the Philippians who were persecuted, men are in from God, okay? So again, you can resist the opposition, your opponents, he referred to them in Philippians one twenty eight or here facing affliction and persecution, right? 
and they're being steadfast because of the righteous judgment of God. So, so what Paul's explaining to the Thessalonians, this is important for us to understand that God will repay their persecutors with coming judgment. When I was just spending time in prayer this morning, my family and I are going through the book of Ezekiel, you know, with Jeremiah, because we're doing a chronological study through the whole uh, Bible. And when I got to Ezekiel 34, even though Jeremiah and Ezekiel were, were taken to exile, or excuse me, um, not Jeremiah, Daniel, Despite all that, God was telling the prophets to speak to the people, particularly Judah, that they will be restored. And his vengeance was on his people because of their sin. But he will also have vengeance. He will also repay those who turn against his own people. They're supposed to be shepherds. They're supposed to be leaders. They're supposed to be people that people counted on that they can look to. And yet they were betraying not just the people, but they were disobeying. They were defying against God. And one of the things I was praying as a reminder is God will repay one day. Now, I do believe that there is a level of consequence that anybody who turns their back against God on this side of heaven will deal with because sin will find you out and it leads to death, the Bible says. And that may not always be a physical death in that sense. But God's judgment is never pushed aside and the totality of the finality of it will come someday. Now, there are many uh, passages in Scripture that speak to God judging the unrighteous. So right now, if you are being taunted, if you're being persecuted, if you are uh, being afflicted by people who have deconverted or cancel culture, one of the things that I have held fast to and find great hope and reassurance in comfort, to be honest, is knowing that God will repay them someday, my persecutors. The Bible says in Psalm 9, Psalm 10, Psalm 17, Psalm 137, Revelation 6, 9, that God's judgment is righteous and he will punish the unrighteous. If you go back to the Sermon on the Mount, Remember when Jesus said this, he said, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now this phrase I want to draw your attention to, considered worthy of the kingdom of God. And this is amazing because not only do we find comfort in the righteous judgment of God, but we also find comfort because as we are faithful to the call that God has given us, he considers us, he counts us worthy of the kingdom of God. So it's not through the suffering that we are found worthy to enter heaven. It's not through our own merits. It's not through our own identity, but it's through God's grace. And we are considered worthy to partake of his kingdom. That is the ultimate and final reward, my friends. Think about that. Given to those who faithfully serve the Lord. Are you faithfully serving the Lord? And notice he says, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. So this is God, who is the ultimate standard, who says it is worthy. It is necessary. It is right for me to repay with affliction those who afflict you, his church. Now, Paul uses the word tribulation because he's capturing the turmoil that troubles the Thessalonians. 
Now, remember, this is a newfound faith. So they're not strong in their faith as of yet. They're growing, they're increasing, they're being steadfast, which is so impressive. You know, like if you think of sports and you have somebody who comes in and they're just very respectful, hard workers, and they earn their spot. And they earn the respect of not just the the players, but the coaches as well. And and you entrust him. The, the Christian faith, though, sometimes the analogy or illustration of a farmer, an athlete is given clearly in 1 Corinthians 9 and 2 Timothy 2. And that's like us as Christians, you guys, even being a newbie, God can give you great strength. And so when, 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 when you're being afflicted and you are being steadfast, it's by the grace of God. It's the strength that he gives you. Now, when it says God considers it just repaint, here's what we need to understand. This is what I pray. In any revival that you see throughout history, you see that there is not just a reverence, not just repentance, the power of the Holy Spirit that moves in the preaching of God's word faithfully in the deliverance of people's sins. There is a submission to the righteous judgment of God because God judges fairly those who mistreat his people. And if you go back, if you remember the crowd that told Jesus of the injustices of Pilate, this is back in Luke 13, verses two through three. And Jesus responded to these injustices of, of, of Pilate. Remember, he would later face Pilate. Pilate would have him scourged. He'd wash his hands clean and he would give him over Um, to his fate and be crucified. But even at this time in Luke 13, this is how Jesus responded. He says, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? And that's what we do today. We examine issues and we have objections because if God is so merciful, God's so loving, if he's omnibenevolent, why is there pain and suffering? Why did this happen to this person? This person was so good. They were involved in charity. They always came with a smile. They were so content you know, their philanthropy or whatever the case may be. And why would this bad thing happen to this good person? Jesus is saying here, that's not his issue here. He's saying just because these people died at the hands of these injustices of Pilate or people who die unexpectedly, right? In a horrific event. He says, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will also likewise perish. Here's the issue. Bad things will happen in this world because we live in a bad world. We live in a fallen world because we have chosen to do things our way. And that will not go unpunished. Although it may seem at times that God isn't responding fairly, or you might be thinking that God overlooks the sins of the unrighteous. I mean, I have a list, a laundry list of people in high-powered positions who are living in sin. And I'm wondering to myself, Lord, how much longer will this person continue to be in this position and they seem to be doing just okay. Matter of fact, in some cases, it seems like they're doing better, but that's not true. On the outside, that may seem to be the case. I mean, think about it. Just because someone who's living in sin and they're a high roller and they're living in a beautiful home and driving multiple Teslas and Range Rovers, whatever, Mercedes and stuff, doesn't mean that they're living the high life and their life is perfect. If you're living in sin, I mean, that's, that's the horrific thing, right? Being, being separated from the life of God. And so they may tell themselves that they have everything, 
but you and I know that the treasures of this world, giving up your soul for the world, I mean, what profits a person? Nothing. And so when you have somebody who is repaying um, or afflicting God's people, and it may not it may not seem right now, it may seem like you're, and I don't want to call them your enemy, but it may seem like someone who is committing unrighteous acts and not just criticizing you, but putting you down and making your life miserable. It may seem like God doesn't see it. He does. And, and I'm saying to you, my friend, right now listening, never lose hope. God sees all and will judge the sins of mankind in due time. He will. And then he says here in verse seven, to the, to the, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus, notice this is an amazing phrase, is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Okay, so Paul was not a dispassionate onlooker. And even though a lot of my listeners, I've, I've never met you, you've never met me, we probably will never meet until we're in heaven together. But let me just, I don't want to be a dispassionate onlooker too to your problems and to your persecution or your afflictions. And that's why even as I was coming to record this podcast, knowing the, 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 the depth, and we've, we've honed in on it, right? Together, we've looked at Paul's heart, especially in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. What a beautiful passage about a shepherd's heart for his people. And so Paul is not disregarding or overlooking or not even factoring in, like, you know, being dismissive about their troubles. He cared deeply about the Thessalonians. There are some he knew, just like there are some listeners and supporters and faithful contributors to this, this podcast that I know and I'm thankful for. But there's so many others, just like these Thessalonians, that he, he didn't know, but he was not dispassionate. He was very engaged. He offered them comfort amid the trials that they were undergoing. And so I want to say to you, this phrase, grant relief, it means to cease from trouble, suffering, to find rest. And I pray that you will be granted relief in your life. You know, the Lord will, will, will reveal himself someday. This is describing, and I believe, in the rapture, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16, that it can come at any time. That's the, the doctrine of imminency. And I covered that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and chapter 5. And you see a brief reference of it here. And you know what? That's not a cop-out. Just because I don't believe that we're going to go through the tribulation right now, the church that's, that's currently alive, doesn't mean that it's a cop-out. I am, a, I am waiting for the return of Jesus Christ at any given time. And I am to faithfully do the things that he's called me to do with expectancy. This could be the day. As I was outside this morning, you know, look at the clouds. Could this be the structure, the clouds that Christ comes and returns? And so we are reminded that the Lord is revealed. He will reveal himself from heaven with his mighty angels. You know, Paul identifies, and this is what's amazing. This description is, is identifying Jesus as Yahweh. He is the one, and, if he, and this is important because if Jesus is Yahweh, if he's the second person in the Trinity, if he's God in the flesh, and he's going to return someday, then you take into account all of the scriptures that describe final judgment. John 5, the book of Revelation, the Lamb of God, 
John the Baptist identified him as the Lamb of God in, jo in John 1, 29 and 33. And Paul's identifying him as Yahweh and he will execute. Yahweh will execute. The Lamb of God will execute the final judgment of the world in Isaiah 64 and 66. And we see this in Revelation 19. The Jews believe the righteous would experience relief from suffering at the end of the age. They believe this. This is actually Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But, as, but at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. So when God, that is Jesus Christ, the Son of God is revealed, the Son of Man, he will execute final judgment of the world. This description here in verse 8, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God, on those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. The Hebrew description of fire carries an image of judgment and wrath. You see this in Psalm 97, verse 3, Isaiah 26, verse 11. We can overlook this but again paul is pulling from the old testament like con connecting the final judgment to jesus's ministry it's unfulfilled not in god's purview of course but in our perspective here on earth it's unfulfilled it has not happened yet and he also is using this description of flaming fire inflicting judgment pointing back to the imagery and judgment and wrath that we see in the old testament matter of fact isaiah 66 15 through 16 says, for behold, the Lord will come in fire. There it is. And his chariots like the whirlwind to render his anger and fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire will the Lord enter into judgment. And by his sword with all flesh and those who slain by those, the Lord shall be many. You can compare this, by the way, to Daniel 7, 9 through 10. And as I mentioned earlier, Revelation 19, verse 12. So the Lord, this is Jesus, the Lord will come in fire. So this is Paul pulling from Isaiah 66, reflected in Daniel 7, 9 and 10, Revelation 19, 12 with John Saul. Now let me go a little deeper into this phrase, inflicting vengeance. I like what the Bible's reader commentary says. It says, quote, Greek word here translated punishment includes theke in the Greek, which indicates a just or righteous response to those who do evil. Kolozo which indicates the painfulness of the experience for those who are being punished, and temeria or epitemia, which indicated rebuke administered as punishment, and padeo, which means to guide or direct, sometimes by punishment. In these verses, the root is dek or dyke. It's a righteous response to those who do evil. So the commentary says this, God's punishments, after breaking down these different Greek terms, of the righteous response to uh, of evil, right? It says a righteous response to those who do evil. God's punishments are not vindictive, but they are harsh when wickedness must be redressed. God will judge all those who reject Him, and He and, and that, you know that didn't accept the free gift of salvation that's offered in Christ Jesus, right? Now, this is what's important. If you, if you see what Paul is saying here about inflicting vengeance, so in the Greek, it's a punishment that is righteous. Okay, this is about vindication. This is about the redressing. This is about dealing with the wickedness that has harmed his people. Okay, 
So I want to share you this passage because when, if you go back to the seven year tribulation and is referred to in Luke 21 verse 22 as the days of vengeance and Paul said, or uh, Jesus said there in Luke 21 recorded by Luke, it says that the days of vengeance will come to fulfill all that is written. See, again, let me, if I may, this is why we need to talk more about the days of vengeance or the, the judgment of God, the righteous judgment of God. Now, God's wrath, as we're told in Scripture in Revelation 3.10, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, that God's wrath does not fall upon his chosen people, Okay. You see his judgment on Israel and his wrath on the wicked people. He delivers Noah and his family and then he pours down wrath on the world who rejected him. Okay? And that's consistent throughout scripture. So the biblical theology study Bible says this, this judgment, this inflicting vengeance that Paul talks about, this judgment will apply not just to those persecuting the Thessalonian Christians, but more broadly to those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel. So this, this is important. This, this refers not to two distinct groups like Gentiles and Jews, but to one. Since this involves a parallel description of those whom God will justly punish for failing both to acknowledge him and to respond with obedience to the gospel. Moreover, God's judgment on the unrighteous consists of the Antichrist, who will know will come and persecute the world in Daniel 9, 27, Daniel 11, 31, and Matthew 24, verse 15. And a demonic deception that will lure people into Satan's trap. So later we're going to cover 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9 through 11, but I have to reference it here so you can get a deeper understanding of this inflicting judgment. Because we're told, base member, what I just told you in Luke 21, verse 22, days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. So there's tons of passages prophetically about God's judgment on the world to deal with the sin of the world, to deal with the wickedness and the unrighteousness of the world. Second Thessalonians 2, the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. So this worldwide rebellion that is ever increasing, it will ultimately, or I shall, shall I say, will culminate in the Antichrist armies that are going to turn against God and he will deal with them. That's what it ultimately will end. That's the finality. And we're told here they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction, verse 9, away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Now, Paul isn't describing annihilationism here. Quite literally, Paul is saying non-believers will pay a penalty for rejecting Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And every non-believing person will consciously live in an endless state of punishment. And that's eternal destruction for their unrepentance. This is, this is Paul's most expressive and detailed description of eternal separation from God. And I, I, I pray that you would hear me. If you've landed on this podcast and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, but you're searching. Let me say this. Those who reject Jesus, if you've been rejecting him and don't believe in him as your Lord and Savior, and you were to die, you will experience separation and torment in hell for all eternity. Now, Jesus doesn't want that. 
he taught a lot about hell, more than he did heaven. He said in Matthew 25, verse 46, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And again, the language that Paul uses here echoes back in the book of Isaiah, chapter 2, verses 19, verses 21, where he says, the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty. See, there will be terror of the Lord. We've seen it throughout history in accounts in, in the Old Testament specifically. Then we see Christ coming at a point in time where he brings deliverance, like the Passover. He is the Passover. He is the lamb who was sacrificed to take on the wrath of God so that the terror of the Lord will not fall upon you. So my friends, if you have never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, do so now. And if you're listening and you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you're really looking at the righteous judgment of God that will fall upon the world someday and end by judging and casting the Antichrist into the pit with Satan, may we be faithful to deliver the gospel to people around us who don't know Jesus. And may we care and think, like even right now, as I'm telling you guys, there are people that I know even in my family, there are people that I've encountered at the gym in my travels who blatantly, I get, I get email, I get nasty stuff from people and, 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 and it's, it, they think they're, they, they think they're so, so wise or intelligent. And I'm such a loser. And you know what? I don't, I don't care. You can't, I hurt for them. They're, they're, they're right now, they're separated from the life of God. And so they're, they're trying to get their kicks. They're trying to get some type of pleasure. They're trying to find something by mocking people like us. Just point them to Jesus. I'm a wretched person just like them without Christ. So when it comes, when, when he says here, as we, as we close, the last verse, when it comes, when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. Again, Paul pulls from Old Testament illusions. See, if we didn't see this, we would totally butcher this passage. Every verse practically that I gave you from verses five all the way to verse 10 are Old Testament illusions that speak of the power in the reign of Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, let me give you one. That coincides here to verse 10. Psalm 89, 6 and 7. For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? A God greatly to be feared in the counsel of the holy ones and awesome above all who are around him. Psalm 68, verse 35. Awesome is God from his sanctuary. The God of Israel. He is the one who gives power and strength to his people. Blessed be God. Amen. And I want to close you guys because it, it's so, so profound, this phrase on that day. And I, I want to say this. As we, we finish this podcast, I pray you take some time, even talk to your spouse, talk to a sibling, a friend, someone at church, whatever. But talk about on that day, on that day. Think about on that day. What does that mean? Well, let, let me read the verse real quick. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints. You see, this is 
This is from Jewish literature. Jewish literature, again, going back to the Jewish scriptures, okay? These phrases that Paul, these allusions that he keeps pointing back to the Jewish scriptures, we call the Old Testament. Jewish literature is filled with the promises of the future reign of the glory of God on earth. Isaiah 46, verse 13. Isaiah 60, verses 1 to 2. Isaiah 62, verse 2. So there will come a day. On that day. On that day what? On that day, whatever day that is in the future, where Christ will return and we, his church, will forever be with him in his glorious presence on that day. I love what Charles Spurgeon said. He said, quote, even so are we now being purified and made ready for that August day when the perfected church shall be presented unto Christ as a bride unto her husband, end quote. On that day. My friends, on that day, Christ will punish sin for good. On that day, we will reign with him forever in our glorious resurrected bodies on that day. So as you're being persecuted, as you're being afflicted, as you've lost your job or you're not getting that job or you're undecided or your relationships are a mess and you have no direction, but you have faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You believe that he died on the cross for your sins. He was buried and on the third day he rose from the dead and he will return. Believe, have faith, put your hope in him. The circumstances are just that. They're temporal. The light affliction of what we're dealing with. We are being molded. We are like broken vessels and God is reshaping each one of us. There are reasons for why he has not answered your prayers in a timely fashion. He knows what's best. I even hate using that, fra that phraseology because it implies that there is, you know, uh, improvements. God is absolute in ultimate perfection. He is perfect. So when you are looking around and you still see people who you think should be judged for their actions and for their sins, and you're wondering why are they still in that church? And if there's a church scandal and that person is still leading and is mocking and taking money from hardworking uh, people who tithe and they're the ones that are promoting this nonsense. I get it. But you know what? I look to Jesus and I know one day his righteous judgment will befall that person. And there are times when you look at someone you say, get your act together or you will be judged. And there's others who have not gotten their act together like we've seen with Israel. We saw with Judah and the surrounding nations that brought them into idolatry and idolatry and God's wrath fell upon them. That's no laughing matter. But we find hope in the fact that on that day, someday, someday in the future, we will reign with Christ. And as Spurgeon said, we're being purified. You are being made ready for that August day. We are the perfected church, perfected through the blood of Jesus Christ. So I pray this has brought you comfort in your life. And if you have any questions and if you have any prayer requests, you can reach out to us by sending an email to info at standstrongministries.org. You can always check out our website, standstrongministries.org. We have a tons, we have just tons of resources to help you guys continue 
to grow in your faith. Until next time, keep standing strong, my friends.